0: Welcome to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoik.
1: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Books. Happy to have you with us again today. Anna, we have for our listeners in this episode two interviews that I know we both enjoyed doing. We spoke with Jen Crabtree who is in youth services at our Lawrence headquarters branch and also with cozy mystery author, Hannah Dennison.
0: One of the things I like about both of our interviews, this, this episode is that I learned something new about Jen Crabtree. I thought I knew her. I didn't. And then just getting to talk with Hannah Dennison about her writing and cozy mysteries. I learned some new things about the writing process from her. So I'm excited for these interviews.
1: And you know, Anna, that's something that is interesting that I've found when we talk to these authors, we always seem to find some little nugget about the writing process that we didn't know about. And I don't wanna play spoiler for people, but when we talked to Hannah later, there was something that she brought up that I would have never guessed in a million years.
0: I agree. And Jen really blindsided me with something that she shared. So we've got all kinds of craziness happening.
1: So now that we've got our listeners on pins and needles for these two interviews, We're going to take a break and we'll be back with Jen in a moment.
0: Hello and welcome to this segment of Behind the Books, where we take the time to interview a staff member from the Mercer County Library System. Today, I'm very excited to have as a guest Jen Crabtree, who is a youth services librarian at our Lawrence headquarters branch. Jen, thank you so much for taking time today.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So Jen, I am very excited to talk to you just because I know you do so much with programming and whatnot at the um, Lawrence branch. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what your job entails?
2: I help the children who come in with finding books, which is fairly, obvious or resources they need. But then we also do story times, baby times, um, programs for the school age kids, teens. I run the teen orientation program for the summer. We do displays, all sorts of things. It's a fun job.
0: Do you mind telling us a little bit more about the teen orientation program that you do?
2: Sure. Um, So every summer we take 25 to 30 teen volunteers and then that helps them get hours for school for, uh, they need for the volunteering. Um, they help check in the kids for summer reading. So they sit at a desk in our um, main area and they greet the kids, give them their prizes, see how many books they've read. And it's really nice. The kids are excited to see the older kids and the teens get their hours. They get to have time in the library.
1: As you were saying that, I was thinking, too, that I bet you get a bunch of the teens that come to help who were part of the summer reading when they were younger themselves, right? So now they're getting to see the excitement that the newer, that the younger kids have.
2: Yes. When I do the orientation sessions, they come in and say, I recognize this room. This is from when I was little. <laughs> and how long have you been at the branch now? 10 years.
0: So you've probably seen some kids literally grow up right in front of you. Yes.
2: Yes. I see some of the kids from my baby time coming in and they're, well, they're like 10, so it's crazy.
1: Is that one of the parts you like a lot about being in youth services, kind of getting to see the kids as they as they start off little coming in and then growing up?
2: It's nice to see how they grow and change and what
0: their interests are. I always feel like when they come in, when the children come into the branch here, they just get so excited to see these services librarians. I mean, y'all are like rock stars to them, right? I mean, they they light up, and they can't wait to tell you what they're reading, and it's just, I don't know, such an intrinsic reward there.
2: Yeah, when we go to the schools for school visits, I feel like that after, the kids bring their parents in,
0: I saw you in school. So you actually get to go in, you'll go into schools and do story times there, or do you do kind of outreach?
2: Outreach before summer reading. We go in I'm not sure if we're going to do it this year. We're trying. Um, yeah. We're going to the elementary schools and just do, a, uh, we see some of the classes, uh, usually second, third, sometimes fourth graders, and just give a little promo for summer reading.
1: When you got into librarianship and knew you wanted to work in the library, did you know that you wanted to work with the kids? Was that something that all along you knew, I want to be in new services?
2: Actually, no. Uh, my mom was a reference librarian, so I grew up watching her, going to the library with her. I'd be the kid who'd go to work with her and sit in the back corner and read for eight hours a day. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a librarian, but I wanted to do exactly what she did, work with the adults. And then when I finished school, I had applied around and wasn't really hearing anything. And then the children's job opened and I was like, well, kids, I don't know. I didn't have kids at the time. Wasn't sure if it was my thing. And so my parents said, "Well, try it." I had uh, worked here as a page when I was in high school, and they said, "Well, you know, you know, the library—it'll be a foot in the door." And then what sealed the deal is that Laura, who's the head of our department, actually reached out to me and said, "Oh, do you want to apply for this job?" So I did, and now I love it. I wouldn't want to switch. It's so much variety—seeing the kids, crafts, music, everything—I love.
0: See, this shows you how little I know because. Just like just seeing the videos that you had done for our YouTube channel, and just knowing the programs that you do, and and actually being in the library and seeing you interact with kids, I never I just thought that was your calling. That was you always knew you wanted to do.
2: Kids. <laughs> it's a great job. I love it. I'm glad I got this one, this role, and not the adult librarian. <laughs>
0: So you always knew you wanted to be a librarian. Yes. Did you go straight from undergrad to library school then? Yes. Jen, no. you might be our first interviewer interviewee that has done that. I had an
2: advantage with a librarian mom. <laughs>
0: Yep. It's funny because I think my kids, my I picture that with my kids right now, because they kind of come in and they sit and they're kind of doing their thing in the corner. And I'm like, I wonder if this is going to have an impact on them to see like how awesome my job is, <laughs> and what I get to do. Because they do, they love coming into the library and I'll ask them. I'm like, do you want, you don't have to, if you don't want to, they're like, oh, no, 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 we want to come. We want to be there, which I think is so
3: cute.
1: <laughs> it's interesting too, as you, as you had alluded to that you knew, like your mom was a librarian, you knew you wanted to be a librarian, and as Anna said, like most of the people that we've had on have kind of been, oh, I tried this, and then I decided I, you know, would apply to the library or go to library school. Do you think that that was kind of an advantage for you that you knew this is what I want to do, and you just kind of took the road and ran with it?
2: I think so. When I was preparing for this, I was thinking about how I mean, every aspect of your life gets pulled in to play a part in the job. So in that sense, maybe having some other experiences would have been helpful, but I fit right in. It works. I have musical background and a lot of the job is singing and story time, baby time, Uh, crafts, love arts and crafts, helping people.
0: So kind of talking about that with like, there's something that you think someone would be surprised to learn about what it's like to work in a library?
2: I think the first thing people think of is, oh, you read all day. And working with books definitely makes a part of my job, but I'd say it's only about a third. I have to know what books are available, where to find them, what the kids are reading, and have an idea of what they are. And then for story time, I preview them and read them aloud. But otherwise, uh, I do a lot of crafts and work on more of the community space aspect, making people feel welcome, doing the displays, and then learning how to use the technology recently with video storytimes and podcasts and, you know, everything like that. So that the fact that books aren't the main focus, I think, is yeah. surprising.
1: As you said to, um, that your mom was a librarian, you two didn't, you know, you were different facets of the library, but like, did she give you any pointers in your job?
2: Um, she actually passed away in 2015 from leukemia, but when I was her first starting, I had been here for about five years, and she would come in and, No, she wouldn't critique me. She would just love coming in and I went to one of um, Donna's, Donna Wolf Reference Library and she did a tea party. She came for that. And then she helped me dress up as the Queen of Hearts for one of our Valentine's programs. And she got in a little car with me and rode around out in our parking lot. She was a good sport.
0: I love it. She had to be so proud. I mean, just, you know, because I mean, people always, again, this is something people say, they're like, oh, librarianship isn't going, you know, it's it's the way of the dodo. Nobody's going to need it. And I just feel like it's just um, evolved, you know, to what we are today. And we keep evolving. And I just think that she just would probably be like, yeah, look at this, look at this that we've built and where it's going. And look at my daughter's like, Extending it even further. I mean, it's it really is. Which I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I just think it's such a fun profession, and I feel very fortunate to have found it. To be honest with you,
2: I feel the same. Yeah.
0: Can you are you at liberty to tell us any um, upcoming programs? Because we're gearing up for the summer reading program now that we're in June. So can you tell us any teasers that the Lawrence branch might be offering this
2: summer? Well, I'm really excited about one for the last Wednesday of June we're having a pirate troop come, uh, the, the Sea Dogs of New Jersey. And I heard them perform um, a kind of a, a historical open house and they are fabulous. They come in costume, they perform sea shanties with um, in, all different instruments, and they have a whole array of pirate like paraphernalia, like a spyglass and coins and all sorts of really interesting things. So they're gonna come it's at 7 p.m and I think they're gonna do a really good job. I can't wait, I'm telling everybody. And a lot of ocean themed, pirate themed things with our theme of oceans of possibility.
0: I love that theme because I just love the possibilities aspect of it because I think it's so true. Just with opening a book, there's so many possibilities that kids can encounter. So I'm sure these services librarians are gearing up and fired up. I know I see it here at our branch. But, and I know that you're very busy, uh, and I am so happy that you took time to talk with us today. And we encourage all of our listeners to get over to the Lawrence headquarters branch, if not for the pirate-themed uh, program, uh, for any of the other programs that are going on. Jen, thank you so much for taking time today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the next segment of Behind the Books, where we talk about some of the programs coming up. Thanks so much to Jen Crabtree for taking the time to talk to us about her work at the Lawrence branch and for taking a few moments there to really throw Anna for a loop.
0: She really did. I think I talked to you about that for quite some time after the interview because I think I was just stunned. I had a hard time recovering from that. But you know what? I cannot wait. And I'm going to try with all my might to get to their program that she was talking about, the Sea Dogs of New Jersey, that's taking place on June 29th at seven o'clock at the Lawrence Headquarters branch. I think that sounds like so much fun. She had me at Sea Shanties.
1: It does sound like a pretty good program. And I'm thinking that everyone that gets a chance, all of our listeners, should get on over there to the Lawrence branch for that program. But we'll talk about that program a little bit more as well, probably in our next episode.
0: So we should probably talk about programs that we have coming up more immediately. Uh, June is Pride Month, and we have a program on Thursday, June 2nd, at 6.30 in the evening. And this is actually for teenagers and adults. It's um, Gender Diversity and Pronouns. And this is a virtual program. So it's going to be taking place on our video conferencing software platform. And the program is going to be presented by Dr. Alex Brandel. uh, And they're going to provide an introductory presentation on gender diversity and the importance of pronouns and issues facing the transgender community. So I think I'm really excited about this program. I think that they are a great presenter, and I'm excited to bring it to our community. And then also in June, uh, we celebrate Juneteenth, which, for those of you who do not know, it's the oldest known holiday that commemorates the end of slavery. And we have author Rick Gefkin, who's coming in to talk about um, stories of slavery in New Jersey's history. And that program takes place on Monday, June 13th at seven in the evening. And again, that one is called Stories of Slavery in New Jersey. And it's Monday, June 13th at 7 o'clock. So you can register for this program or the Gender, Diversity, and Pronouns program on our website, mcl.org, or of course, you can use our app, My MCLSNJ, which you can download for free in your app store.
1: And also, Anna, coming up, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about in the next episode, but just so we can lay the groundwork for people, summer reading is right around the corner. June 21st is when registration starts. And the theme this year for summer reading is?
0: oceans of possibilities which i love
1: and if you get into some of the branches you'll see that already the youth librarians are starting to come up with those ocean themes around the branch i know if you wander in the Hopewell, you'll see that and i'm sure you'll see that the other branches as well so get ready for summer reading it's right around the corner and also right around the corner is our interview with hannah dennison we'll be back to talk to her in a moment
0: British-born Hannah Dennison originally moved to Los Angeles to pursue screenwriting. She has been an obituary reporter, antique dealer, private jet flight attendant, and Hollywood story analyst. After 25 years living on the West Coast, Hannah returned to the UK, where she shares her life with her two high-spirited Hungarian vigilas. Hannah writes the Honeychurch Hall Mysteries, the Island Sisters Mysteries, and the Vicky Hill mysteries. Hannah, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today.
3: Um, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm I'm really really honoured to be part of this amazing podcast, which I. <laughs> have been following and it's really wonderful so thank you
0: so we're very excited to have you we have lots of listeners who i know are fans of yours um, i was just talking with one of my colleagues about your honey church hall mysteries um before i came online with you and we so i know your eighth book has just come out and can you give us a little summary about what our character cat sanford has come is coming across in this latest book
3: um, yeah, this is, yes, this is book eight, Murder in Miniature, which actually was probably one of the, the most, bu- the books I really enjoyed writing. I had a lot of fun with this one because um, Kat's mother, Iris, who um, is a secret romance writer of bodice rippers. So if you've been watching Bridgerton, it's kind of that steamy level of, of, of hotness. And so in, in this particular book, um, she gets much more involved with her Mother's love life, and also I always put in a antique of some description, um, because obviously I had a background in an antique dealing, and that is Kat Stanford's profession is that she is an antique uh, dealer and she does mobile valuation services. So in this particular adventure, I um, I picked some miniature portraits. Um, of Sir Francis Drake, who is um, quite a celebrity. Down- of course, he was born in the 1600s, actually, or 1500s, I think it could be. So in um, that, that's my sort of like my antique of that particular uh, p- particular book. But the the actual mystery, I, I've got so many elements in it, actually. When you look on the cover, there's a there's actually a doll's house. And I was just mentioning that... Um, my book covers often come out or are already created before I've even started the book. So what I've done is I've written a one-page summary of what I think the book's going to be about. The editor commissions me to write it. And then when I start to write it, the things on the cover don't necessarily go in the book. And um, so I have to sometimes write to the cover on the book. And I think, oh, I've got to have a doll's house. I have to have a doll's house. How am I going to get a doll's house in that? So that's how I got the murder in miniature because it was to do with this these portraits that are found in this doll's house. So in fact, I think some of my peers as well have that same problem where the book cover is already created. And I think one one of my friends, um, he, he said he had a cat on his book cover, but he didn't actually have a cat at all in his mystery because cats, as you know, with, with cozies tend to be sort of staple fare of, of any murder um, uh, cozy book. So, so in this one, I also I delve a little bit, if this, as you know, it's book eight, in Kat's relationship with the rather stuffy detective inspector, Sean Cropper. Um, and I, I realized that as I'm going along that I'm not sure if I really like him very much. Um, he's becoming quite real to me now. And so in one of my newsletters, um, I sent out a sort of like a survey saying, about you know what, what do my readers want to happen? Because there's, of course, a new detective comes on the scene who I think is super hot. And I don't know whether Kat thinks she, he is, because he's so real to me. So I sent out this survey to say, what do people want me to write in book nine? Do they want Kat to stay with this particular detective or meet someone new? And then of course, I got so many opinions coming back, I really realized that was probably a bad idea. Because I had people say, "Um, I'm not interested in love triangles. You know, she has to stay with with Sean. And as I write this night book, the story is actually beginning to tell itself. I can't tell you what's going to happen, of course, because otherwise, it won't be a surprise. But I, I it's really interesting how the characters start to tell the story for themselves. And I'm just just writing down what they say. So, um, so that's the murder miniature. I think it's probably a, a much more um, relationship orientated this time. Um, of course, I still got like two dead bodies as one has to have um, in anything. Um, so yeah, so that, that was fun. And yeah, a lot of uh, to do with friendships like Iris's friendship with um, the housekeeper because it's very much like a contemporary Downton Abbey. You know, I have um, the dowager countess and the earl and, and the rather statty wife who live in Honeychurch Hall. And then I have the sort of below stairs people that live on the on the estate. Um, I have found sometimes it was pretty restrictive when I started the, the series because I only had Honeychurch Hall and it became a lot room mystery. And so then I started making it larger, like Hogwarts, you know, when I'm sure the very first Harry Potter film everyone watched, Hogwarts was quite small, wasn't it, as a school. And then it became this massive, massive building. So now I've got a village because I thought perhaps that might come in handy at some time down the road, because I think this series is probably going to continue for quite some time, Um, which also begs the question, that something I'm always curious about, what your listeners would think and your readers in the library when you've got um, as it happens always in an amateur sleuth you know the the heroine nearly always falls in love with a police officer it just happens that way what happens when they actually get together? Do people want that, or do they just want to wait and be kept on the edge of it? all? Part of it is that tension when they're not
0: together. You know, there's that the magnets know, you're trying to make them flip, and they're not flipping, and they're not connecting. So I think that's part of the the attraction to it.
3: I think that's part of it. It's like it's like I, if I let if I if they end up together, then where do I go with that? Because I think that becomes like a, it becomes an ending, but then there are some series where the couple, like um, I'm thinking of Marsha Talley, for example, which is they're already married or um, Carolyn Hart's characters, the death on demand. They're already a couple. It does work. obviously about what, what your readers have ever said about that.
1: Well, I think the people who enjoy the cozy mysteries, you get a different answer from each one, right? Because some of the people like that, some of the people, as you said, don't want a, a love triangle. Some of yeah. the people just want a cat in there. You know, yeah, it's they, like.
3: Exactly. And, recipe, and I, a recipe, which I I do actually have a recipe in the one um, because Iris, um, who oddly enough, my my daughter thinks I, it's based on myself because I'm a writer and Iris is a writer, but she she's a great gin drinker, such gin. And I went to gin school in Devon and I learned how to make gin. So that is my recipe for my contribution to the cozy mystery community is gin. It's a boozy mystery. <laughs> it's a very, very <laughs> mystery. It's, it's a social thing. It's England, you know, we yeah. all, we all, I think it's, it's the weather, of course, that makes us want to drink too much.
1: Some of the things that you were saying earlier, that whole concept of they get they do the cover before you write the book, that was, that well, my head I'm was sure
3: like, I, I think probably because I'm always seem to be behind. I'm one of these writers, unfortunately, that I seem to thrive on a deadline, even though I'm miserable with the deadline. And so even though I might be thinking about it weeks before, months before I start actually sitting to write by that time the pub, you know the publisher has already got the idea of what I'm going to write it changes from what my original idea was it just changes into something else and then I hope that that nobody notices because one thing I could never do and I'm in awe of all the authors that do this is when they said oh start write a chapter of the next book and we'll put it on the end of that book that you've just written you know like a preview they're, that terrifies me I could never do that because I always write my first chapter last when I finish the book. That's the very last thing I do is to write the first chapter. Because I think I think there's a there's a saying that the end is in the beginning. So I want people when they read my books when they get to the end they think oh wait so oh it was right there at the very in the very first chapter she she laid out who the murderer what everything is there but you can't see it till you get to the end. That's always been my, my goal. So I can't write the first chapter until I finish the book. I don't blame you. Cause then you're
0: held to it. I mean, that's exactly. exactly.
3: <laughs> that's a very good point. I oh, thank you. I'm so happy you said that because everyone's going, you're oh, crazy. Why can't you, I can't, or, or I can't even write at all without that first line. But uh, I would would not start at all if I had to do that. It, I would freeze.
0: Well, you've done, you've had three. So you have three successful series. Do you, I mean, do you, so it's almost like, do you have like a formula or is there something in your head where you're like, you know what? This this topic is going to carry across the series. Because I
3: think that's hard to sustain. And it's very it impressive. It, it's definitely, um. I think each, I think there is a shelf life to every series, I think, to keep it fresh. Um, and I've often thought ahead of how the Honeychurch series would end. It would have to end with all the relationships tied up in a bow and that's it. Because, you know, and, and I think some of my favourite mysteries that I've read or series I've read, I felt bereft when it's it's come to an end, but that's the natural end. It's like, or even if you're watching, I'm a great... Uh, I love watching television and series like that. And sometimes something should just end and not keep going. You know, it's like, so uh, sort of ending on a high note, I think. So, yeah, so I have, I have, and of course, I've always got ideas for other series, but it's, it's always a challenge to keep it fresh. That's the biggest challenge I have. Um, and I also find um, sometimes, especially when I was writing two books at the same time, that I was the storylines were parallel were actually very similar and it was only when I dealt I, I started to write it you know put side by side I thought oh my god I've I've done that in that book and I done the same thing in this book I've, I got quite confused so that was that was a bit scary um, because there's only so many ways you can skin a cat right so <laughs> uh so yeah so that was that was always quite difficult.
1: I would think Especially with something like the Honeychurch Hall mystery and, and you've, you've been with Kat for so long, it would be hard probably as a writer to say goodbye to Kat and be done with her, right? You have too much that you want to do with her that, to end it.
3: I think that's true. And I, I get very fond of them. And, and also sometimes, you know, readers will, will write and say, I don't even remember what the story's about, but I just want to be with those characters, I want they're my friends, and I want to just be a fly on the on the wall with their life. And I find often, and I wonder it's, if it's true for other readers too. That, but I remember very vividly certain relations, something, um, and I think that's that I would I would miss that with with cat actually.
1: I wanted to circle back and ask you a little bit too about just how you got into writing because you did so many diverse things before you started I know in your bio you know it talks about being an obituary reporter and an antique dealer and a flight attendant and you went to Hollywood for 25 years what was it that drew you then to just focus full-time on on the writing and did all of those yeah. other experiences help you become the writer that you are
3: absolutely yeah definitely um I always felt I always like to tell stories but I never unlike a lot of my peers it wasn't like oh I've always wanted to be a writer I've always wanted to be a writer even though may- maybe my sister or some of my old school friends would say but you always wanted to but I didn't think I did I just wanted to have adventures which is why I did so many different things um, and I did having said that of course I remember I, I think I sent away a love story once when I was 15 to a magazine and it was natural it was natural rejected because I hadn't even had a boyfriend and here was me writing this story you know um and and I think I think so many people come to writing later in life when we've had all these experiences because you have to have lived through all sorts of things especially heartbreaks and stuff to become a, a solid writer I I believe but that's not to say that, of course, you have these amazing young women who are straight out the gate. They write these incredible bestsellers. You know, there's there's that. But but for me, I felt I had to live a lot because um, I've got I've had lots of stories and adventures, a lot of them not particularly happy ones. But I will put them in a book one day and and find the funny side of it, which is often the case um, in that.
0: Well, it's funny because I look
3: at the Honeychurch
0: Hall mysteries and there's an antique component, which you had experience with, and yeah. then um, the Vicki Hill Mysteries journalist, and you've been writing. And then I
3: started to think about, could you do a cozy mystery as a flight attendant, or does that break a rule? No, it's not. And you know, I've, I've thought about it so many times, because I, I I've thought, it's not the first time I thought about it, but I I don't know whether or not I could sustain the locked, because the planes I used to work on were very small. They would be like 10 seaters. So you'd only have, you know, you'd only have those passengers. And so unless it was like a part travel log, you know, like, because you go to a different country, which you could do a sort of travel location type. So I would have to set it. I think I'd have to set it back in the nineties, like the early nineties. And I, I'm not sure maybe it's worth it. Cause now as time goes by so fast, that's almost like a vintage period now, <laughs> which is maybe people will like it, actually. But the whole
0: idea of the vintage aspect of it, like rotary phones, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah
3: it, was, um, it was really fun. It was a really fun time. Yeah, I had a really good time. So, yeah, I ha- you've got me thinking now. Maybe I should just <laughs> put it out there and see whether or not anyone's interested. Um, so, yeah. Well, Hannah, whatever you do, we wish
0: you to... Just- this your continued success like I said I know that you have many fans in our library system um, including my colleagues at the branch that where I work so we appreciate you taking time to talk with us today and we look forward to seeing what you have in the future thank you so much I
3: I just wanted to say how much I really love talking to you guys you make me feel so I don't know sort of cheerful I think is the word because it's quite lonely writing so um it's really really nice that you thought about me all the way over here in england so thank you very much
1: welcome back everyone as we wrap up this episode of behind the books thanks again to hannah dennison Taking the time to talk to us, and when we talked to her, as you know, when she mentioned the thing about how they do the cover of the book before she writes the book, that was like when we were talking to Brad Parks and he said something and he and he did the thing where your mind was blown. That was me on that. It's like how could they make a cover for the book before she's even written it? But that was, as we mentioned in the beginning of this episode, one of those things that we had no idea about the writing process.
0: That is one of the few times I wish that we were on video as well, because your face was priceless. I think it just blew your mind. I think we talked to her for a very long time and really the listeners only got a snippet of what what we got to talk about with her. And um, I just think that I think it's interesting, her series, how she has these three successful series and how she's maintaining them and how she's letting them evolve, like with Honeychurch Hall, how she said it really took place in one building, but she expanded it to the village, which gave her more, I guess, literal real estate to work with. Um, And she kind of compared that to the Harry Potter movies with the Hogwarts and how the campus grew as the movies progressed. So I just thought, I just think she's got a knack for it. And I think her strategy is in place. And obviously she's, she was an absolute riot to talk with.
1: And also the path that she took to writing with all those different things that she'd done before she became settled into her career as a writer, just a very in- interesting person to talk to, as was Jen Crabtree, who, as we alluded to in the beginning, kind of blew your mind when she wasn't originally on a path to be a youth librarian.
0: In contrast to Hannah, she always kind of knew she wanted to do librarianship. She grew up around it. She was on her pathway. She went right from undergrad to grad school for library school. And just the chance of, you know, Laura Greninger from the Lawrence branch, you know, letting her know that there's an opening and then a new fabulous new services librarian is born.
1: That's another thing that we get to find out each episode here, the, the career path for so many of the people that are working here. And it's not as simple as, you know, waking up one day and starting your career. They all, they come from all over and that's what makes at a very unique place. We have people who took different paths to get here, and they all do their part to make it a successful team operation.
0: So we do want to thank Hannah Dennison again, as well as Jen Crabtree for taking time to talk with us today. And Bob, I'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. For more information about the Mercer County Library System, please visit us on the web at mcl.org. We are produced by Laura Narasik. Our thanks goes out to Kim Livingston for her technical expertise, as well as to Dana Benner for creating our cover art. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoy.